Tommy took us to to his he took us to the bar that was right behind his motorhome and was talking about the sport of triathlon. And as he's talking, he's got a magic marker and he's making a mark on his arm every time he has a beer. And again, remember, this is guy who's going to tell us about this Ironman thing. He's sort of our mentor. Yeah. So Tommy goes, I said, Tommy, sir, uh, what, what are you doing with that magic marker? He goes, well, I have a little bit of drinking problem, so I make a mark on my arm. When I get to my sleeve, I go home. And welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines, along with Kevin Watt. We're brought to you by Wentings Mountain and Cycle. Be listening later in the show for the Wentings Word of the Week. Go to Wentings, tell the word to any member of the staff, win yourself a prize. It's just that easy. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Featuring personalized and professional coaching for your first Fondo, your next triathlon, or maybe even a marathon. Click on the TriJoy link on the FitSpeak homepage. Coming up on our program today, our Fit Tip of the Week, we'll have our upcoming event schedule. Installment number two of Bob's Bits is coming your way. We're going to find out about mountain bike legend Nev Overin and how he approached his training for his very first Ironman. Kevin Watt has a feature interview this week. He'll be speaking with local author Bruce Butler. But first, uh, take a look around what's happening in our lives and in our communities, and here's Kevin Watt. Um, well, I'll be gearing up for spring series. Okay, so a bunch of new bicycle races. Actually, they've been going on for quite some time, put on by... Escape, Escape Velocity. Velocity. So that's a means of them raising money for their youth club called Devo. So we're that's looking right. forward to uh, watching, participating, and reporting the results here on Fitspeak. That's right. In addition to cycling, of course, my background being a bit more triathlon related, ATC General Meeting was held not that long ago. A nice group of people, up to already 52 members. We're looking to have an exciting season starting with them. In fact, the very first uh, multi-sport race of the year is happening at UBC. That's going to be going on Saturday, May or March the 11th. My goodness, spring is almost here, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It reminds me, uh, earlier this week, I happened to see some flowers starting to bloom. That was a good sign. And after the winter we've had, summer and spring can't be coming all that soon for us. No, uh, right. One more thing we want to mention right off the top, Wenting's Word of the Week, we've mentioned that. Be listening to it for just the last part of the program. We're going to drop that in. You can win a prize. Speaking of what's happening around the area of Mission, the annual Heritage to Hatsik race, that's a running race. 5K distance, 10K distance, it's the Heritage to Hatsik. We'll be giving you more details a bit later on. Also, speaking of what's been happening, my goodness, we're also so surprised and impressed with the questions coming into our direct messages at our at FitSpeak Instagram page, Kevin. It's been going crazy. It has been going crazy. I'm really surprised and uh, taken back. And the quality of questions... People are pretty serious. They're not fooling around and they want some they want some proper answers. So we're working hard at that. We're we're uh, trying to get the best answers for you. I guess it's time for our shout outs. So Kevin Watt, I see you've got one right off the top of the page there. <laughs> now, do you know this person personally or what? Uh, I know, yeah, I do know this person. Uh, I've watched this person kind of come up through running and uh, 
just get stronger and faster. And I think the great thing about this particular person is that she helps to uh, encourage people uh, to come out and and uh, conquer things that you know, conquer their own their fears. So this is a shout out to just a girl, seventy four, coming off of a cold and gearing up and getting ready uh, for the training season again. Good luck in the two thousand seventeen season. And I guess I'm because I'm speaking about a guy from Calgary. I should say howdy, but uh, howdy to Pat L from Calgary who got stiffed. Uh, there's some complications connected to his first half marathon, which was going to be this weekend. Hopefully you can show the rest of the world your true athletic self real soon. Shout out to Tobin McCallum at Tobin McCallum. He's working hard to keep a circle of cycling peeps motivated. And also a shout out to Roger Friesen. Follow at Roger Friesen for help on sports psychology. And finally, in our shout-out section, uh, here's to Glenda at F2C Nutrition in Maple Ridge, maybe soon to be out of Coquitlam. We hope to be hearing more about your stuff in the future. And FitSpeak listeners, here's a hint. Stay tuned. If you've ever ridden your bike along the Lowheat Highway through Silverdale on a sunny Sunday afternoon and had a big old loud Harley honk on the exhausts, or you've been drifted by an F-350 dually driven by a guy with maybe a big ego but little penis, it scares the hell out of you. But you're not alone. A Maple Ridge resident has written a book detailing his experiences with aggressive driving behaviors. In his book, he offers explanations as to why drivers behave the way they do. In this future interview, Fitspeak's Kevin Watt is in conversation with Bruce Butler, the author of this fascinating ebook. Ladies and gentlemen, FitSpeak listeners, you are in for a treat today. We're sitting down today with Bruce Butler, author of Letters to a Driving Nation, exploring the conflict between drivers and cyclists. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Thanks, Kevin. Glad to be here. So happy to have you here today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I've lived in Maple Ridge for 26 years now. I'm a professional engineer. I've worked in some really cool areas like marine navigation, subsea robotics, mining automation, and wireless technologies. In my spare time, when I'm not writing, I cycle, of course, trail run with a local running club, and I do the occasional triathlon. And, of course, that's how you and I met. We met through cycling. We met through just kind of doing endurance events and sports and stuff like that. Maintained a cordial relationship. All so far, yeah. <laughs> Keep it that way. <laughs> no more bad jokes. Why don't you tell us and the Fitspeak listeners a little about your cycling background? Sure. Well, like most people from my generation, I've been cycling since I was a kid. As an adult, I started cycling to work from Maple Ridge to Poco in the early 1990s. That was back when the old Pitt River Swing Bridge was still around, and it turned out that it was actually quicker to ride to work than it was to drive. It still is. Yeah, tell me about it. I got into triathlons and did my first Ironman in 2010, and I've done three more since then. Congratulations, by the way. That was a real grind. And I've done the, including Whistler, last summer. So I've also done the Valley Fondo, did that in 2014, and a few MEC Century rides, and I'm signed up to do the, the Fondo again this year. Which Fondo have you signed up to do again? The Valley, the Prospera Valley Fondo, starring 
Kevin White. <laughs> well, not necessarily Kevin Watt. Uh, 1,500 other cyclists will be starting in that event as well. But yes, true, it is a great event. I'm quite proud of that event, and I'm quite proud to be able to volunteer for that event. Yeah, it's a great event. Thank you. We work very, very hard. What kinds of bikes do you ride? I have several. Um, for commuting, I ride an old Kona Dew hybrid. It's uh, it's an old bike. It's I've got about 17,000 kilometers on the frame now, and it's still growing strong. For triathlons, I have a Ridley Dean time trial bike. It's a really sweet ride that Goes like a bat out of hell on the on the uh, downhill. One of the uh, one of our rides from Whistler to Pemberton, one of the steep hills. I got it up to eighty three kilometers an hour, and uh, exciting and scary at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like living life. No kidding. And I also just picked up uh, a Ridley Phoenix road bike, so I can do some fondos and uh, some more group rides. It's good. So it's a little bit of cross training. So this year, it sounds like you're going to be backing off from doing Ironman, kind of focusing a little bit more on the road biking. That's it. Yeah, I want to just do some, get out with some groups, like your groups, and do some group rides, have some fun, do some fondos. Um, I'm going to be helping train a few of my friends who are doing Ironman, but uh, I'll just be going out for the long rides with them and stuff. That's right. That's right. Pretty good, too, because in the last few years, cycling clubs have just grown by leaps and bounds here in the Tri-Cities, specifically Pitt Meadows and Maple Ridge. We're pretty fortunate to have the hills and the roads out here, which leads me to my next question. You wrote a book. Where did you get the idea for writing this book, Letters to a Driving Nation, Exploring the Conflict Between Drivers and Cyclists? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I've been commuting to work by bike into Poco since the early 90s. Since then, not a week would go by where something would happen involving a driver, something dangerous. Driver yelling at me to get off the road, cutting me off, normal stuff for cyclists, unfortunately. That's right. Self and a lot of friends can definitely attest to that. So being a budding writer, what I started doing is just um, writing down these these stories, these incidents, just just making a little little history of, of what's been happening. The number of stories grew. And eventually I had about 15 or 20 of them. And then I came across a, a really interesting book by an American author named Sam Harris. The, the book was called Letter to a Christian Nation. Interesting writing style where he actually poses his questions and concerns about his topic in the form of a, a long letter to his readers. I thought that might be a really interesting way to organize these stories. I would write them, rewrite them as letters to the actual driver's who were in these these incidents with me. And it kind of became almost like a catharsis for me. It was a way to kind of vent my, my frustration over, over these situations. And basically, it's what I would say to the driver after the fact, if I could sit down and have a calm conversation with them about, about what just happened. I've had a lot of those thoughts in my head, too. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, the trick is to turn those thoughts into something. Whether it be they're driving a vehicle or they're riding a bicycle, each of those individuals still has to go to work the next day. Exactly. And they have families to go home to at night too, right? That's right. So some of the stories in your book describe some pretty scary situations. Why do you still ride? Really valid question. Um, Basically, as I see it, roads are not for drivers. Roads are for people. That's not a quote of mine. It's I read that somewhere, but I think it's a very powerful statement. Roads are for people. And cyclists have just as much right to be using the roads as drivers do. And it's been well established that the more cyclists there are on the road, the safer it becomes for cyclists. So I'm, I'm just trying to do my part by being out there, being visible, making drivers more aware just by just by my presence. So. I appreciate that you've written this book and I appreciate that you're trying to just get the word out and remind people, drivers and even cyclists with a driver's license, just be mindful of other people on the road. Do you have any examples 
perhaps from the book that you can share with the listeners? One of the um, really common things I've seen out on the road as a cyclist is, is what I refer to as the flipped switch syndrome. It's when a driver comes up behind a cyclist or a group of cyclists and suddenly what it appears to be is that a switch in their head just flips. And the only thing that comes to mind the driver is, I must pass, must pass, must pass, must pass. So the driver will pull out and pass regardless of what's going on on the road. There could be a stop sign 20 feet ahead. There could be oncoming traffic, a group of cyclists, drivers, anything. There could be a blind curve in the road. It won't matter. Once this switch is flipped, the only thing the driver is going to do is just pass. I'm reminded of a situation that happened a little while ago here out in, uh, I guess, the Langley area off of Lefebvre Road there, there was some Glottman Simpson riders who were, I think they were going down a hill and up a hill and they were passed by a uh, guy pulling a trailer and he didn't give himself enough room to pass and he ended up coming really close and forcing one of the cyclists into a ditch. That's a, that's a classic example of what I call the flip switch syndrome. All the driver could do, wanted to do was pass and wasn't willing to spend the extra few seconds and kind of evaluate the situation and realize that this wasn't a safe time to pass. I see that all the time. I've been a victim of it as well, tons and tons of times, and it, it never fails. You can be on a flat road, you could be, it just doesn't matter. When that driver gets it in their head, they want to pass no matter what. It's not the fact that they're just passing you, it's also the fact that the wind is, you know, kind of pushed off of their vehicle also affects yeah. you or the group of cyclists you're with as um, passing you. And I think that a lot of drivers completely forget that it's not just their vehicle. It's the force of the wind sure. that's kind of affecting, you know, your road bike handling skills. And it happened to my friend and I, we were coming down a hill. A transit bus, two buses that are connected to each other, basically rode cycling lane with their mirror past the solid line in cycling lane and scared the heck out of us. Do you have any more examples? I guess I'm asking this yeah. only because we know that not a lot of regular sort of drivers are going to be listening to this, but reminds anybody who's a, you know, endurance athlete, uh, when they get into a vehicle, you know, to be mindful and they can pass along the information that you're giving to us and the FitSpeak listeners about how you should be mindful as a driver when sharing the same roads as, you know, of course, a cyclist. Um, like another example would be the one I call the um, mind your own business principle is one of my chapters. And that's a very common thing too, where you'll be, you'll be riding along, kind of minding your own business and someone will come up beside you in the vehicle, roll down their window and yell at you to get off the road or get onto the sidewalk or something like that. And um, it's very common in Maple Ridge to have that happen. Mm -hmm. And again, it's it's a case of that driver should really be focusing on their own driving and not worrying about what other people are doing. Because, mm -hmm. you know, a cyclist isn't a threat to anyone in a vehicle. No. It's the other way around is, is, is the issue, right? I agree. Yeah. Well, and for you and I mm -hmm. and, you know, some of the people we ride with on Thursday evenings, we generally tend to hit the pit meadows loop or cross the bridge and Try to get over into Glen Valley towards Fort Langley and that area as soon as yeah. or as quickly as possible because of the issues with the drivers yeah. now. It gets to be pretty treacherous. It takes a lot of the fun out of riding a bike. It does, yeah. Definitely the uh, the south side of the river is a much nicer place to ride. I totally agree. Yeah. You come down pretty hard on some of the drivers in your book, but <coughs> cyclists also misbehave. Why don't you pick on them as well? Well, my, my book, it's, it's called Letters to a Driving Nation, not Letters to a Cycling Nation. So I'm primarily focusing my book towards drivers and, and driving 
behavior. See, if, if a cyclist misbehaves on the road, the cyclist usually ends up paying for it, because you know, cycling is what you call a Darwinian activity, right? If you cycle poorly, you're going to get hurt or injured or killed. Don't need drivers to kind of help the process along, right? If the driver misbehaves in their vehicle inside their cage of several thousand pounds of plastic and steel, they're not going to get hurt, probably. It's the more vulnerable person on the road who's going to get hurt, whether it's a pedestrian or a cyclist or a motorcyclist. Yeah, there's there's this there's a real disparity here between you know ability to injure, if you will. So that's why I'm focusing on drivers in this book. I'm, I'm trying to send a message to drivers. Have you had any mishaps on your way to work? Sure. Um, you know, my, my book is full of them, right? <laughs> because that's 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 why I wrote the book was all these mishaps. But most of those are pretty minor by comparison. They're just annoyances. And you know, I'm I'm very good at reading traffic. So if I see something happening, I'm, I'm able to back off and, and get the hell out of the way to avoid getting injured. Um, I've I've been only hit once, or, or I should say, knocked off my bike once by a, a guy. You know, your basic left hook, as it were. I was going to work one morning in Poco, came off the Mary Hill bypass onto Kingsway, and uh, the guy made a left turn right into me. I managed to just about get around him, but he clipped my rear wheel and dropped me to the pavement. Pretty minor as collisions go, but you know that that fall from a meter onto a hard pavement uh, ended up not being able to run regularly for over a year. I wasn't crippled, but it sure changed my lifestyle for that. Anytime you add speed to an accident, really hard surface, it amplifies that that injury by a ton, right? So I've been fortunate. I've been very fortunate, and I'll knock on wood that I haven't had any, you know, mishaps like wow. you're just you're mentioning. Lucky, yeah. I guess I don't know what to say. I mean, I've just been fortunate. I tend to stay away from traffic, though. Who are you trying to target in terms of your audience for this book, and who should read it, and why? Well, my book, you know, as as I said, it's called Letters to a Driving Nation. So I'm my primary um, target is drivers, uh, as it describes a lot of situations where. Quite frankly, the driver should have behaved a lot better. Ideally, I like to see this book become standard reading for all new drivers because it provides a really good perspective on what it's like to be a vulnerable road user. Short of forcing anyone who wants to drive have to cycle as well, there's, there was no other real way to, to get that perspective, I think. so. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had a lot of really positive comments from friends who cycle because they want their non-cycling friends and family to read the book so that they can get a perspective, the, the non-cyclists can get a perspective on what it's like because their friends and family who are the cyclists are going out every day on the roads and mm-hmm. it, it, they would really start to appreciate what it's like, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, similar to it almost being mandatory for each licensed driver to spend six months on a motorcycle to just remind them or yeah. to teach them how vulnerable they are on a motorcycle and yep. how to make themselves more aware of what's happening around them and typically a a motor cyclist sees everything in front of them but they 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 forget to see or recognize that uh, the biggest danger is anything from behind them such as uh, being rear-ended or you know even blindsided did you learn anything from writing this book oh definitely yeah the biggest surprise i got from writing this book was that uh, i discovered that Driving is actually a much more emotional and controversial subject than I originally thought. I thought it was just another activity like other things that people do. But um, the way that some people react to a criticism of their driving or the driving of someone they know, it's very similar to the way religious people respond when their dogma is questioned. 
it's really quite fascinating. An interesting um, thing happened when I was part of a uh, critique group, a writing critique group, and I was reviewing reviewing some of these these chapters with my group, and um, I got the good I got the good positive you know feedback about the writing, but some of the people in the group really didn't like what I was saying in my stories, and so I kind of. I thought that was really interesting, and I followed that up to find out what was going on. And what I realized is what um, is that, in a social sense, drivers are like a tribe. If you're a driver, you're part of that tribe. And whether you realize it or not, when someone criticizes a member of your tribe, your first reaction is to defend your tribe. <laughs> it, it, it sounds kind of odd, but... So no, it makes perfect sense. It, it does, but it, that makes it really hard for you to get my message across, because even though if you read my stories, you'll... You could look at them kind of, you know, objectively and go, yeah, that's right. A lot of people don't like the, the message because it's criticizing a member of their tribe, which is fellow drivers. Right. And it's it's very rare that you'll actually hear someone say, you know, there's actually a lot of shitty drivers out there. Mm-hmm. You don't hear that. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And that, that's what I found really interesting is that there's this, this special thing about driving. Mm-hmm. Once you're a driver, you're part of this tribe and you don't like... You don't like it when it's comfortable when someone starts saying, hey, you know, there's some real crappy drivers out there. Yeah. Dangerous ones. No. It was really odd. I agree. That's a really interesting perspective. That's something that every driver should really, really think about. Your book has some really amusing illustrations. Who did those? Well, I tried doing them myself, but I'm I'm a terrible artist. So um, a colleague of mine suggested I look on the website. Fiverr.com, 5rr.com, because there's all sorts of online services available there. There's a lot of illustrators, so I went through the portfolios, found one that I liked, sent him a few, like, basically crude stick figure drawings and said, see what you can do for me. And he turned out some really good stuff, so we started working back and forth. It's all done through a website and email and stuff, and um, he'd eventually produce a really nice line drawing for me, and then I would I would suggest some coloring schemes for it and he would do up a color it in for me it looked really good and i'm really happy with the, the illustrations they're they're uh, really high quality and and, and amusing the, the, this guy i work with is actually a uh, he's a nurse living in the philippines somewhere and this is his, he's like a side job he does so uh, sort of his hobby yeah yeah and he's making good money because he's, he's really good at it so yeah he does he's really good the illustrations i was blown away they are <laughs> really good yeah, how long did it take you to write this book, this ebook? Well, like I said I've, I've been working on these stories for years, if not decades, because as as they as these situations would arise, I'd write them down and then just kind of file them away. But once I decided that, hey, I'm going to turn this into a book because I think it's got some good value, some social value, it probably took me six to eight months to kind of wrap it all up into a nice, nice format and uh, get it edited and uh, and then you know self publish it. So, well, yeah, yeah, I'm blown away. I, when I found out that you'd written a, a book and an ebook, I just was like, wow. Like, oh, it's always interesting to find out what other people are kind of into and pursuing, you know. Yeah. Where did the chapter titles come from in your book, Letters to a Driving Nation? Well, they're, um, if you're a, um, a fan of the, uh, the Big Bang Theory TV show, you'll, you'll kind of recognize the, the format of the chapters. So I, I do, um, my chapters have titles like the Roadhog Conundrum, or the Ponytail Hypothesis, or the Bike Licensing Fallacy, and so on. They're, they're very descriptive of, uh, of what each chapter covers. Maybe you can just touch on the Bike Licensing Fallacy chapter. Sure. I mean, in that, in that 
that chapter, that's that's a bit more of an editorial chapter than a than a story about a real world driving you know incident. But that's where I uh, I, I kind of deconstruct the argument because every few years someone will get on the news and say what we really need to do is is license cyclists. That's gonna that's gonna solve all the problems in the world. It's everything's everything's gonna be better once we license cyclists. And when you start looking at what they're actually arguing for is. What they really want is not licensing, but they want cyclists to pay money for the privilege of riding on the road. <laughs> that, that's really what it comes down to. It, it's a money thing because they think, they see cyclists and they think, that guy's not paying his fair share. Right. And it's a complete fallacy. Um, when you look at the numbers and, and the way um, roads are funded and stuff, you realize that it's done through general taxes, which everyone pays for, not just cyclists, mm-hmm. but not just drivers. So... Um, so yeah, it's um, it's that's that's really what it is. It's it's a kind of deconstructing that fallacy fallacy about uh, about uh, licensing. It's a great it's yeah. it's a great chapter to read because yeah. you know you've heard it. I've heard it a million times. I mean, I've heard it with people my age. I've heard it with people younger. I've heard it with people like way older than me. And until you read the chapter, I mean, you really you have a hard time arguing that point. Yeah. Where can people find your book? Tell us, tell the Fitspeak listeners. Sure, it's a, it's an ebook, so it's available uh, online for Kindle readers. You can get it at Amazon, Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, pretty much every country that Amazon's in. Mm-hmm. It's also available on iBooks if you're an Apple fan. It's available for Kobo readers. So if you're and you have your your e store that you go to to buy books, just search the title "Letters to a Driving Nation" and it'll pop up. I've also produced um, printed copies. They don't like eBooks or don't have them, and uh, so I produced a kind of a, just a, a low cost version with a glue binding and a plastic cover, as we got here. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people really like that. And it's 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 nice size, nice size, and the color illustrations. It's pretty cool. So. Any plans to do a follow-up book to Letters to a Driving Nation? Well, I'm a, say a, a budding author, so I've always got at least several ideas on the uh, on the pile. But um, I'm thinking of, I've uh, been toying with the idea of doing a follow-up called Letters to a Cycling Nation, where I'll kind of um, provide my, my tips on surviving as a commuter cyclist. But there's already uh, quite a few books out there on that uh, subject, so I'm I gotta see if I can provide any added value that other guys already haven't done. So, so we'll see. Um, and I've got several other cycling ideas um, on the board that I don't really want to mention yet, just because they're, they're cool. So secrets, secret. yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, um, and I'm also I'm also working on a book right now. It's a not related to cycling. It's a it's a nonfiction book documenting a uh, an engineering project I worked on in the '80s and '90s. In, uh, when I was working for a submarine company, we did a Cold War project up in the high Arctic where we took a submarine up there and laid some cable under the Arctic ice pack to help the Americans and the Canadian Navy uh, track Soviet submarines. So that's a, that's a real story, and uh, I'm, I'm writing a book about that. So That sounds pretty top secret, actually. It, it was. <laughs> and actually, now I have to kill you. So. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm also, I'm, I'm a geek too, so I'm also poking away at a science fiction. Book. Nice. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Super cool. So let's uh, let's talk about how we're going to find Letters to a Driving Nation on the web. Where can we find it? Bunch of places. I'm, uh, I've got my own author website, www.brucebutler.ca. Pretty basic site, but it's got a link to my book, Letters to a Driving Nation, and a whole bunch of neat stuff and a few example um, illustrations from the book. 
I've also got a Facebook page called Bruce Butler Author. Mm-hmm. You can find me there. And I've linked that also to a, a Twitter account that I have called Cycling Nation. Excellent. And so for the FitSpeak listeners, you'll also be able to scroll down on the FitSpeak webpage and locate Bruce Butler's website link there where you can purchase a copy of his ebook online or paperback copy. There's a, an email address there. You just email me and... Um, okay. I'll get you a copy and we'll sort it all out. Autographed? Oh, hell yeah. Good. (laughs) Well, there you go, FitSpeak listeners. We've uh, been sitting down with Bruce Butler, writer and author of Letters to a Driving Nation, exploring the conflict between drivers and cyclists. We want to thank you for your time and joining us on the podcast today. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun. All right, FitSpeak listeners, we're going to have a little fun here now with Bruce Butler. Shotgun route. If you could be any rock star, who and why would it be? Uh, Phil Collins, because he drums really well. Number two, favorite local ride around Maple Ridge or the surrounding areas? Well, anywhere but Maple Ridge. Fort Thank goodness. Who really is the Buttman? You or your nemesis, Kevin Binney? Well, that would be Kevin Binney. He's also known as Flat Boy. Flat Boy. Flat Boy. Okay, okay. (laughs) Number four question. What is your favorite local cycling event? Oh, the Valley Fondo, of course. My goodness. Jeez Louise. Okay, you get paid in beers for that one. (laughs) And the final and fifth question here. Who is your favorite local triathlon training club and why? Oh, that'll have to be the Flying Spaghetti Monster Triathlon Club. And where can we find that club? They're on Facebook. We're on Facebook. We're just a local group of crazies who like to do training for triathlons. We don't take it too seriously. And, we have fun. and that's found in Maple Ridge here. It is, yes. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Kicking off our upcoming events calendar in Abbotsford, it's Tear It Up Tuesday at Rotary Stadium. Join Coach Mikey Ross from the Abbotsford Triathlon Club for a high-energy running session geared for those folks who are doing a triathlon. It starts at 6 o'clock. Go to abbeytriclub.ca for more details. And turning towards bike racing, the Escape Velocity Spring Series begins with two races this weekend. Beginning this Saturday at Hogan Park in Chilliwack and this Sunday with the Aldergrove Short Course. Races start at 10.30 sharp. Arrive a couple hours early, there will be day of registration and sign-on opening at 9.30. All details can be found at escapevelocity.bc.ca or our webpage. And finally, as we mentioned at the start of our program, the Mission Hospice Society and the Garrison Running Company are putting together the Heritage Tehatsik 5K and 10K running race. It's on Sunday, April the 9th. You can get details on how to enter at the bottom of this week's Fitspeak podcast player. One of the cool things about being involved in endurance sports and having your own podcast is that quite often you get to meet many of your heroes or folks who have done heroic things. In the next few months, you'll be introduced to many of them from the worlds of long-distance cycling, swimming, and running. One of the pioneers and historians of the sport of triathlon is Bob Babbitt. 
Bob is one of the original people who did the Iron Man race when it was just some small, silly thing being run in Hawaii back in the early 1980s. But being one of the original and maybe crazy Iron Man isn't the only reason Bob Babbitt is both in the Iron Man and American Triathlon Halls of Fame. He's also one of the people behind the highly successful Competitor magazine and Rock and Roll Marathon series. He's also responsible for raising over $80 million for charity as the founder of the Challenged Athletes Foundation. In the next few episodes of Fitspeak, we'll be spending some time listening to the stories and messages that Bob Babbitt brings to the sport of triathlon, the business world, and the game of life. And the fact that Bob uses Pop-Tarts as part of his fueling strategy is just a bonus. In the second installment of Bob Bits, we hear about how Bob and future mountain bike legend Ned Overend had an extreme swim regime that got them to the start line of the 1980 Ironman. You'll also learn about Bob's first encounter with the first ever winner of Iron Man, an eccentric guy called Tom Warren. And for you tech geeks out there, we'll delve into transistor radios, panniers, and fuzzy seat covers. Here comes Bob's Bits. I fell into running 5Ks and 10Ks, and I met this guy rock climbing in Mexico uh, named Ned Overend. And went out to become world mountain bike champion, yes. but mountain bikes hadn't been invented yet. So he was a mechanic at San Diego Suzuki. I was a school teacher. We lived down by the beach in Mission Beach, and we were doing these, you know, these running events. And one day we saw this thing on something called an Ironman triathlon. Okay. And this was 19. This is after the 1979 race. There was an article in Sports Illustrated, and the guy who won the race was a guy named Tom Warren. Mm-hmm. who owned a Tugs. tavern, Tugs Tavern, in Pacific Beach. And Ned and I had done a Tugs swim, run, swim event. Where you swam a half mile, you ran five miles on the beach, and ran and swam another half mile. And the key to that event So was, you were already able to swim fairly yeah. decently at that time. Well, I mean, I was decent, but I could get through the water. Okay. So, but Ned and I were sort of falling into this stuff, and we were really liking it. And I didn't realize how good Ned was, right? And so one day we were running this 5K race and we finished. And I said, you know, then I'm going to head back. I want to head back to the place. He goes, now I got to hang out. I finished second. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> so he was this, had this ability to process oxygen. His nickname became the lung because mm. he could go uphill better than anybody. But again, mountain bikes hadn't been invented at that point. So he was sort of searching for his way. He mm. was, I kid people now, I've got these photos of him. He was selling these amphibious vehicles called scramblers for duck hunters. <laughs> duck hunters would take these things out in the barn, mm. out, out in the, out the woods, yeah. and they would break down and they'd call Ned to come mm. fix the tracks on these <laughs> things out in the middle of nowhere. It was, uh, it was pretty crazy times. But anyway, so this tug, swim, run, swim, uh, Ned and I did this, and we posed for photos you know, after, after the uh, race. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the early guys who took photos of you at the races. Well, the guy turned out to be Mike Plant. Mike Plant. Mike yeah. Plant, who had started the San Diego Track Club News newspaper that became Running News and became eventually Running and Triathlon News. So this is around, I would this imagine, 74? Okay. It was before 80. Okay. We, we, so after Ned and I did tugs and then after the article came out in Sports Illustrated on Tommy um, we wanted to find out about this Iron Man mm-hmm. we had no idea what so nobody we, did nobody <laughs> did so and it's not like you can call anybody up it really wasn't anybody listening as a race director so we went 
And I tracked down Tommy and I said, Tommy, can you explain this Iron Man thing? And he says, I'm so he says sure, Babbitt, come to my office. I'm like, well, where's your office? He says, well, it's on the it's on the west side of the street, just south of the Crystal Pier of Pacific mm -hmm. Beach. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, then I get down there. Oh, the office, yeah. There's no buildings. There. Uh -huh. There's a motorhome with, uh, with running shoes tied around the side view mirror, a bike on the back and a paddleboard on top, and I'm figuring, this is probably it. So I put my head inside, and like Tommy's like, "Rabbit, welcome to my office." I'm like, he had a roll of dimes, and there was a payphone behind where he was at, so he would make his business calls, and wow. beer and tortillas, whatever else. And he'd run five miles each morning. He'd run along the, the boardwalk there, Pacific Beach to Mission Beach and back. Then he'd swim out around the pier. Then he'd ride his bike to Oceanside. So he was an early triathlete yeah. who didn't know what the hell triathlon was. And then he went off and won the Ironman. It was an eight-page feature in Sports Illustrated. He was on the Johnny Carson show. Wow. Yeah, and when he was on the Johnny Carson show, which was the show back then, so Johnny says to him, remember, there was 15 people in the race and 12 finishers, and Tommy won. And so Johnny's like, so Tommy, what'd you win? And he hands him the early Iron Man trophy, which is a little... Was that something that, what was it, John Collins welded yes, up? John <laughs> made the, the, the original Iron Man trophy, which had a, like a, 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 a nut for a head, mm. which is a metal thing. And Johnny's like, this is what you want? And he turns it over and he goes, hey, Tommy, I hate to tell you this, but there's a screw loose. On <laughs> and everybody started cracking up. It was pretty funny. So anyways, once, uh, you know, Tommy took us... To, to his, he took us to the bar that was right behind his motorhome and was talking about the sport of triathlon. And as he's talking, he's got a magic marker and he's making a mark on his arm every time he has a beer. And again, remember, this is guy who's going to tell us about this Ironman thing. He's sort of our mentor. Yeah. So Tommy goes, I said, Tommy, sir, uh, well, what are you doing with that magic marker? He goes, well, I have a little bit of drinking problem, so I make a mark on my arm. When I get to my sleeve, I go home. <laughs> so then we go to his house, and he's got a bike mounted in a sauna. You know, like, sort of like Lionel Sanders now. Yes. But that's back then. Mm -hmm. You're like, you did what? So yeah, I ride five hours on my bike to train for Hawaii. And we're like, oh, my God. Training in a sauna, so then we got to go get bikes. Mm -hmm. So we go to a police auction. My bike cost mm -hmm. seventy-five bucks. The whole back end had been burnt in a fire. And um, you were kind of scared of changing tires, so you, you adapted solid though. Rubber. Solid, solid rubber, rubber tires, and you waxed them out, so you didn't have to worry about changing tires. Yeah. And then I thought that you swam two point four. Road 56 camped out and rode back the next day. Right, so logical. Logical, right? So I put pannier sleeping bag and tent on the back of the bike, figuring that you're going to camp out. And so we found out that people were doing it in one day. Mm. Like, sounds a little crazy. <laughs> but so Ned and I were training, and I, at that point I had a little condo in, in a place called Mission Valley here. So at the time yeah. you're working still as a teacher? teacher. Okay. Yeah, right. Working as a school teacher. And um, Ned's working in San Diego Suzuki. And we get a local running store called uh, The Sports Page, gives us a pair of shoes, so they were our first sponsor. Adidas? Uh, Adidas, mm. exactly. Yep, uh, marathon trainers. So Ned and I were, we, we, because we were rock climbers, the only helmets we had were rock climbing helmets that have no holes in them. <laughs> so we'd go for these rides, and it would be, we'd ride, and we'd go, oh my God, our heads are gonna explode. There's no way you can do this 
this whole thing in 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 one day. And then we that's what really got me with the sleeping bag and panniers and yeah. And then the other thing we realized that with the with the um, when you go for a long long ride, it's like, oh my God, your butt hurts, your all mm-hmm. this stuff. We thought if we average ten miles an hour. Yeah, like 112 miles. You know, we're we're going to be out there a long time. Yeah. So we're going to need headlamps, oh. or we're going to need to camp out. This, this is adventure racing. We didn't know. <laughs> yeah. We had no idea. So and then I had a you know I, I bungee corded a radio to the front of the handlebars. Now was that just for aesthetics? No, I'm no. just in tunes. <laughs> I, I actually caught that that day. I caught a uh, they're playing a Rolling Stones concert huh. from from Maui. <laughs> it was on my so. so <laughs> The, because of the articles was associated, the event had grown from 15 participants to 108. Boom, right? And you, you still had support crews back then. And I was a school teacher, like I said. So one of the kids I taught, her dad lived over in Oahu. Oh, wow. So he and his two girlfriends bought their Fiat convertible, and they were going to be my crew. And You're listening to our next installment of Bob's Bits when we'll hear about how he made it to the start line and, more importantly, the finish line of Iron Man. And just before we get into our fit tip of the week, something else for you, our Wenting's word of the week. Listen up, here it is. Provincials. Provincials. So mention that word to Bruce or any one of the staff members at Wentings Mountain and Cycle and you can claim your prize for the Wentings Word of the Week. And for this week, Provincials. Time to turn to our Fit Tip of the Week and this is for you if you want to get faster as a runner. Is anyone still listening? I thought so. This one comes to us from triathlete.com. So if you are interested in becoming a faster runner and you've done a lot of the usual things such as increasing the miles you run per week and adding interval sessions to your runs, you've kind of plateaued. Some of these tips could help you speed up. Tip number one, think about getting lighter shoes, especially for your faster days on the runs or on the trail. According to the article, you can expect about a 1% speed increase for every 100 gram reduction in running shoe weight. On a longer race, such as a half marathon, that can add up to a pretty substantial time savings. But before you get rid of all those hokas hiding in your closet, exercise some common sense and moderation and try these lighter running shoes on shorter runs first of all to see if the lightweight shoes work for you. Uh, The lack of cushioning may be a major issue for some folks. Tip number two, and this one is of particular concerns if you're getting on with age. Do a proper warm-up before turning on the turbo jets. I mean, I remember in my 20s bolting out the door, running in my North Stars, listening to Judas Priest on my Lloyd's cassette player, not enough money for a brand name Walkman, you know, and just hammering right off the start. No warm-up, no water, no intervals, just hard running for 30 or 40 or 50 minutes. And for some reason, no injuries either. Ah, yes, the joy and idiocy of youth. Well, now in my 50s, whether it's on a treadmill or running on Matsqui Trail, I dedicate the first 10 minutes to running as fast as possible, but with a ludicrously low heart rate. I mean really low, barely into the triple digits. I force myself to breathe as deeply as I can 
and be as efficient as possible in those first 10 minutes to hopefully set the tone for efficiency in the remainder of the run, which is at a considerably higher heart rate. And the final tip we want to pass along for you to run faster is to wait a minute, stop running. Now, I don't mean putting your Sacconis on eBay for a case of beer, but what I do mean is stop running for a little bit, be that a few days or maybe even a week. Chances are, if you're plateauing, it has less to do with your training and more to do with rest and recovery. And there's nothing like a few days off the roads and the trails and treadmills to give your body a hard reset and to get your mind right you very well may be coming back stronger and faster. For the rest of the tips to get you running faster, check out our Fit Tip of the Week links. And that's it for episode 9 of Fit Speak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. We're brought to you by Wenting's Mountain and Cycle. Remember, the Wenting's Word of the Week is Provincials. Also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Join us for the inaugural Cultus Lake Tri-Camp in June. See the TriJoy link on the FitSpeak homepage. Be listening to FitSpeak next time when our feature interview will be with multi-talented and unstoppable Craig Freeman. Bullets couldn't stop him. Neither could Iron Man. Neither could Paris Press Paris. We'll hear his story next time. We're also going to hear about the big winners from the first round of the Escape Velocity Spring Cycling Series. I'd like to thank Bruce Butler, the author of Letters to a Driving Nation, Bob Babbitt from Babbittville, Kevin Watt for his amazing Instagram work, and you for listening. I'm Kevin Hines. Bye for now.